Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. Great to have you listening to your local community radio station. My name's Andy and I will be around for the next hour. I'm coming to you again from Wajaknunga country on the west coast, but broadcasting on the lands of the Jagger and Turrbal people. And this week on the show, we are going to be talking about the royal family. It has been the Queen's Jubilee uh, this week. It's been in the news a bit. I try to avoid it myself. Um, I'm not much of a fan of the royal family, it has to be said. And so that is why today on the show we're going to be talking to people about why Australia should get rid of the royal family as our head of state and uh, be an example to the rest of the world that everybody should get rid of kings and queens, that this is an outmoded uh, idea, um, one based best in fairy tales, uh, and really we should get rid of them out of them too. <laughs> it's time to get rid of it everywhere. Uh, I am a, a staunch anti-monarchist. I complain when the royal insignia comes up in my cryptic crossword clues, uh, as royalist propaganda. Um, Many years ago, when the Queen last came to Australia, myself and another previous Paradigm Shift host, Ian, we went to down to South Bank where the Queen was alighting and we unfurled a banner there with the picture of the Union Jack and the Royal Crown that said centuries of oppression. Um, and we got many, many disapproving stares from the old ladies who had gathered there at South Bank. But I have zero regrets. Um, somebody's got to talk to those old ladies about um, a reality check of where the Queen's wealth and power comes from. And um, as well about, you know, a world, possibilities for um, women beyond the horrible... Uh, gossip mags and the endless uh, royals publicity bandwagon. Uh, it's so awful. And um, not to mention the, yeah, the Disney princess kind of propaganda that uh, girls are brought up with from a young age. And just the implicit messages in this about, I guess, being born into significance by being a, a princess. It's totally outmoded. It's against ideas of human equality. I'll say that, and for that reason, everybody should be against it. It just embodies the idea that some people, by virtue purely of their bloodline, are of more significance or deserving of more than others who 
aren't born into that. And for that reason, I think every church who believes in the equality of people created by God should be against the royal family. Every Democrat should be against the royal family. And yet, this myth holds very strong in our society. And of course, um, not only are we endlessly subjected to stories about the royal family in the media as if these people are deserving of any attention, but Australia... Uh, back in 1999, voted against becoming a republic and voted to keep the uh, monarchy. So I'm going to be talking today about uh, with people about whether this should change. And it has been in the winds, of course. Uh, this week, Michael Thistlethwaite was appointed Assistant Minister for the Republic in the new Albanese government. Um, one step towards it. And today on the show, I speak to Peter Fitzsimons, who is the head of the Australian Republic Movement organization, about um, why Australia should become a republic and the proposed model that they have for it. And I also speak to Ruby Wharton from Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance about what people colonized by the Crown think about this country's ongoing fascination with the royals. So stick around, that is what's coming up. And let's start off by having a chat with Peter Fitzsimons. My name is Peter Fitzsimons. I'm the chair of the Australian Republic Movement. Well, I guess to start off with, do you want to let us know why you and the organisation think that Australia should become a republic? Our premise is very simple. We maintain that in the third decade of the 21st century, it is ludicrous and embarrassing to maintain that Australia can do no better in finding our heads of state than to call on a family of English aristocrats living in a palace in London. We are Australians. We deserve to have an Australian as the Australian head of state I find any politician that says that the future of Australia depends on having a foreigner as our head of state completely absurd. Well, this week our English-born aristocrat head of state has been in the news a bit. It's been the Queen's Jubilee. Um, what's been your take on the response, do you think, from the way Australian people have taken this, that... Um, the country is ripe for becoming a republic? I think the mood of the people in contemplating the Jubilee is, well done, Your Majesty. She's been on the throne for 70 years. She's done a sterling job. She's done everything that's asked, for her, or asked of her. When she took over 70 years ago, she said in the famous speech, which I think she made from, well, London, or she found out in Kenya, but she said, no, and I dedicate, I promise you, I dedicate myself to your service, etc., And she's absolutely done that, and good luck to her. But there's also a sense of, if this wasn't quite a farewell to the Queen, there was a, there was a certain feel of swan song in the air. I mean, I read a piece in the uh, Sydney Daily Telegraph, which was interesting, that there was, I think, for four days of celebrations, Her Majesty appeared for a total of 27 minutes. And what that jubilee did was heightened a sense of thank you for your service but also a strong sense that she is in the very deep twilight of her reign and if i had a dollar for everyone that had said to me i'm with you on the republic but only when the queen dies or abdicates i'd be a thousand dollars to the good mm. 
Well, it's not the only development we've had either recently towards an Australian Republic. Anthony Albanese, when he announced his first ministry after taking government, uh, did announce that Michael Thistlethwaite would be the Assistant Minister for the Republic. Um, how did you take that news? Was that expected? I expected it. He's been the Shadow Minister for the Republic, I think, since 2015, a long time. And certainly in the Albanese shadow in the Albanese shadow ministry, there he was, and so not unreasonable to expect to have a shadow minister once the Albanese government takes over that they would confirm him as the minister for the republic. I was still nervous. I got a I got a I got a whisper on the Saturday night of the election that it was going to go ahead, but I was still first nervous and then absolutely exuberant when the news came through because, I mean, it's the best news for the Republic movement in 30 years. Since the announcement of the 99 referendum, that was great news. It was tragic news, well, not tragic, but bad news when, the, when we lost the 99 referendum. But to have the imprimatur of the government of the day having a minister for the Republic highlights its importance and says the machinery of government will turn to help Australia become a republic. Now, even before that announcement, the Australian Republic movement have been active. At the beginning of this year, you announced a proposed model for what an Australian Republic could look like that you called the Australian Choice Model. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Very simple. The, the, when I took over in 2015, there's been a schism in the Republic movement, and it was a schism that brought us down in 99, and that is between those who want direct election and those who want minimalism. To explain that, the, the way the system works at the moment is that every five years, the democratically elected leader of the day, the Prime Minister, is reduced to going to the Queen of England and saying, I am the democratically elected leader of the Australian people. I have made a choice as to who I think should be Governor-General. Is it all right, as democratically elected leader of the Australian people, is it all right with your unelected Englishness? What I have decided to do, do you approve? She says yes and they move on. The, the idea of minimalism in terms of a republic model is to have everything exactly the same, the way it has been, even to the point of calling the Governor-General the Governor-General, but instead of asking an unelected lady in England, the Prime Minister of the day asks the Parliament of the People, seeking a two-thirds majority approval for whomever he or she has decided to elect. Direct election, on the other hand, seeks anybody that wants to nominate, can nominate, and whoever, whoever wins the vote, wins the campaign, becomes the President. What we've come up with, the Australian choice model, is the best of both worlds where you have each parliament in the country, the six states and two territories, each provide an eminent Australian, nominate an eminent Australian. This is our choice. The federal parliament nominates three. You come up with 11 nominees. Quick campaign, if, if, if indeed there even be a campaign, but these are the 11 nominees. And then you have preferential voting system and the people decide, which would mean that the head of state and it's up to, it, there's a question whether you'd call the head of state the president or the national elder or perhaps an indigenous word. That, the authority of that head of state would rest upon Australian democracy, 
not upon the fealty to the Queen of England. So this model seems to be about seeing the head of state as a mostly ceremonial or symbolic position and wanting to uh, transfer that to an Australian head of state uh, while disrupting our current parliamentary system as little as possible. Is that accurate? Yes. Were there voices saying that maybe a transition to a republic would be an opportunity for bigger changes in how Australia does governance? If you get me 20 Republicans, stop the first 30 people in the street and you'll come up with 20 Republicans and say, what's your idea of the model, the desired model? You're likely to get 20 different versions. And people are very passionate about, I want this model, I want that model, I don't want this model, I don't want that model, I won't vote for this, I won't vote for that, etc., etc. The only answer is to come up with a model that is most likely to gain most support and a model that will work in practice. So in our case, we had, I think it was 19 members of the National Committee. I was fearful, given that, leading the Republic movement, you've got passionate minimalists, which I used to be, and passionate direct electionists, which we had many like that. I thought the only way we'll come up with a model, there'll be people who'll resign who will say, no, I want no part of that. We had unanimity on the model. We had 11 constitutional experts, professors, scholars, academics in the, in the realms of the Australian constitution. They were unanimous in supporting this model. And so it was a triumph to put it out there. We had ex- the expected criticism. Uh, one, one was from Paul Keating who said, you know, I was a bit amazed by this and I went to see him to talk to him about it, but, you know, saying that this will turn into Trump. Well, with the great, as I said to Mr Keating, with the greatest respect, you know, it's not going to turn into Trump for several reasons, but one is the model we have, it's mostly a ceremonial role. You know, it's mostly cutting ribbons, presiding over, you know, appointments, investitures and so forth being the national griever-in-chief, the national celebrator-in-chief, representing the dignity, the majesty, if you like, of the Australian people, and not a position where, like an American presidency, you can, you know, all but declare war. You can appoint members, you know, Secretary of Defence and so forth. The American presidency is an enormously the most powerful position in the land. The Australian presidency, the Australian head of state, under our model, is... cannot even dismiss the government. You know, it would be, you would have no repetition of 1975. It won't turn into an Australian Donald Trump for two reasons. One is Australia wouldn't vote for a Donald Trump type figure. Number two is, even if it did, the position has one one thousandth of the power of an American presidency. Now, traditionally, when it comes to referendums, Australians are reluctant to change things. Um, Are you worried about that? Or do you think that a presumably imminent change in English royalty works in our favour. Works in our favour. I mean, I think most of the country looks at the English royalty and just says, we've grown up, you know, we're better than that. We are better than that. I mean, one of the lines that I use, if I may say, to great effect, with particularly with older audiences that say, what's the problem with the, with the system we've got? Well, one thing is this, just, I say to them, look to your granddaughter Esmeralda. She's 18 years old 
And she can aspire to be anything she wants to be as a fine young Australian, bar one thing. She can aspire to cure cancer by the age of 25. She can aspire to give us peace in the Middle East by the age of 30, win an Oscar by the age of 35, rid us of Pauline Hanson by the age of 40. But as a young Australian, there is one thing she cannot aspire to be. She cannot aspire to be the Australian head of state. Why not? Because in the Constitution of 1901, it specifically says, third paragraph down, second page, you pissant little Australians need not apply. There's no job for you as Australian head of state. That job's reserved for a family of English aristocrats living in a palace in London. Come on. How can it be that, you know, in the third decade of the 21st century, as I mentioned, we still have a system whereby Australians can't be the Australian head of state. It is absurd. As I just said to the New York Times, it's the equivalent of America saying, we'll get our head of state from a family in Tasmania and we'll take their firstborn as our head of state. I mean, it would look ludicrous. It would be ludicrous. It would be embarrassing to them. Serious nations, nations of dignity, mature nations don't have a foreigner as their head of state. Well, I certainly agree, but within the last quarter century, Australia has voted against a republic. What are the lessons that you've learnt from the last referendum that you're hoping not to repeat? Two lessons. One, we need unity in the republic movement. Two, we need a government that's behind it. In the 99 election, you had the Prime Minister of the day, John Howard, robustly, resolutely against it. And when we go to it this time we will most likely have a Prime Minister that is for it. And I actually wouldn't count out Peter Dutton. I have talked to Mr Dutton about it. I, but this was before he was opposition leader. I, he wasn't resolutely against it with me. He's spoken previously at monarchistic, monarchical gatherings, but I'll be fascinated. And I, I, I repeat and I mean it. I mean, Dutton's a clever politician. He needs to, he can't just say we're against progressivism on every front because time rolls on and, you know, you, you can't just say we're against everything, particularly when the lesson out of that last election is there's a progressive mood in the country. The mob wants to move on. They want to take climate change seriously. They want Indigenous reconciliation, recognition, Uluru, the voice. And I think they want the Republic. And... If the Libs set them up as vote for us and we'll stop the evolution of history, we'll stop the evolution of Australia towards becoming a republic, I think it would be political madness. The mob has moved to the centre. In my view, that's where the Libs have to compete. And so many people feel so passionately about the republic. I think if the Libs said we're against the republic now and forever, they'd lose a fair chunk of the mob. We've got a lot of people on the Liberal side of politics, national side of politics, who are strongly for the Republic, and how could they not be? Quite seriously, to say that, you know, no, 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 the future of Australia relies on having a foreigner as our head of state is absurd. We're bigger than that, we're better than that, we're stronger than that, and we have more dignity than that. Well, what kind of a timeline do you think that we're looking at in respect to the process of moving towards a, a referendum or a republic? I would suspect Uluru, the Uluru referendum will be held 
this term, if the Albanese government is returned next term, um, I would expect a referendum sometime then, perhaps early in the next term. Okay, thanks very much, Peter. If people are interested in finding out more about the Australian Republic movement, how can they do that? Google Australian Republic movement. Send us your membership forms, make a donation, love us like we love you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. That was Peter Fitzsimons talking just there. Um, And we're talking about getting rid of the royalty. I'm not joining in on the Platinum Jubilee celebrations here. Um, I want to talk about systems of equality and abolishing old relics of um, unilateral power given to people for no reason other than that they happen to be born into the wealth and power that was pillaged from ordinary people all around the world. So before that song, we were talking with Peter Fitzsimons from the Australian Republic Movement, um, who have been advocating for Australia to become a republic for a long time, and who have uh, released a proposed model for it um, of how it could go to the uh, a referendum uh, to the Australian people. Uh, I don't know about the model. It does. It seems funny. Uh, I can have some quibbles, but I do appreciate what he said about just trying to find the best of both worlds, a, a thing that people can agree with, it, and then we can get on with the job, you know, make a republic, and then let's talk about, you know, how Australia should be. Um, and so I certainly would support that model if it was the one presented to us for now. Um, now... When we talk about the Queen, one topic that cannot be ignored is that of colonisation, which was done in the name of the Queen, I mean, and the royal family. Not that the royals would ever actually leave their palace to go out and do the dirty work of taking another person's country, but um, I guess the the idea of a God-given right to power was so implicit in the taking of lands for the British Empire and for other empires, of course, who had kings and queens as well. And um, so I thought today on the show we should definitely talk to somebody, an Aboriginal person in Australia, about how they feel about the Queen and what they hope for a future for how Australia should be governed. And so I spoke to Ruby Wharton from Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. She was involved in uh, protests against the Commonwealth Games a few years ago on the Gold Coast, where they one of the slogans they had was, this is not the Queensland. And of course, um, it is implicit in the name of our state, this idea of uh, ownership by... Uh, somebody who, I'll tell you right now, did nothing to deserve this uh, beautiful piece of the country in which we live. So anyway, let's have a chat with Ruby. Yama, I'm Ruby Wharton. I'm a Gumaroi and Kumagina, originally from Kanamala, um, and I'm based in Mianjin, so-called Brisbane. But um, I guess my the main thing I do in community is I'm a community organiser, a part of Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, as well as Gamilaray Next Generation. So a lot of my work's around um, stopping black deaths in custody, land back, uh, land conservation, protection, anti-mining stuff, and a whole lot of sovereignty talks of around the First Nations context. And this week on The Paradigm Shift, we are talking about the Queen and the royal family. 
been in the news a bit this week because it has been the Queen's Jubilee celebrations. I guess for you and for other Aboriginal people, uh, how does it feel seeing those celebrations? Oh, in all honesty, I, and I don't speak for everyone, but I like to think that a lot of First Nations people share this thought and opinion is that we totally reject the Crown and the way that they colonise, just on the pure basis on the way that they've colonised so-called Australia as well as many other countries that, that are forced into being a part of the Commonwealth. And we don't really have any respect or care. I don't think it's been really much of a topic of conversation amongst First Nations people. It's kind of just like, all right, this is something that they've historically done and celebrated and it's outdated, it's ill-founded, it, the values that stem from it are, are disgusting that and simply don't align with us. So we don't really engage with it or have much care or respect for the Crown or for the, for the Queen, for anybody a part of that Commonwealth and those heads of states. Yeah, a lot of people say, oh, the Queen has no real power, it's just symbolic. But for Aboriginal people and other colonised people, it's symbolic of very bad things, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. But I also reject the whole notion that it is symbolic. Um, from just with things that are happening within our climate over here in, um, in Australia at the moment is that we have a lot of discussions around constitutional recognition and the Uluru Statement from the Heart. Now, one of the things that's stated in the Uluru Statement from the Heart is that that First Nation sovereignty is a spiritual notion and that it also is equal to the sovereignty of the Crown, which like, I, I, I totally reject the whole idea that it is symbolic because it's not. It's still entrenched in this colony and its foundations. That is the constitution that literally created the governance system here in Australia. And it's, it's really not symbolic. It's it's quite really alive and well. Although the Queen might not have a direct input and the, the Crown might not have direct input into our political conversations that happen in Parliament here, they still have heavy influence. I mean, Tony, let's not forget that Tony Abbott literally gave Prince Charles a knighthood. Like, he, it's this country really respects the Crown and the Commonwealth and it's something that is entrenched in this country and further perpetuates a colonial machine that deprives First Nations people of our sovereignty, our birthrights and an acknowledgement of our true existence on this country, on this continent and our purpose as First Nations people of our respective tribes and nations. So I, it's not really symbolic, it's quite still alive and well here just because they're not physically present doesn't mean that they're not involved or not respected in the wider context of Australia's governance and politics. A few years ago when the Commonwealth Games were on in Queensland, in this place that we literally call Queensland, um, uh, the Commonwealth Games were on and you were part of a group of First Nations people who uh, organised protests against the Commonwealth Games. What was the importance of doing that? Well, um, Stolen Wealth Games um, is a term that was coined by um, a lot of the Victorian mobs. So they um, that was done in the early 2000s, I think. 
um, and Uncle Robbie Thorpe, uh, um, Gunai Gunachamara, elder down in, based down in Nam in Melbourne, coined that phrase many decades ago now. So, um, and he was heavily involved in our, um, he wasn't physically present at Stolen Wealth Games on the on Mary country on the Gold Coast, but um, he was he was the one that coined that phrase. But Stolen Wealth, literally, um, our little catchphrase for that Stolen Wealth Games in 2018 was stolen wealth, stolen land, stolen lives. And it kind of um, reflects on the way that our livelihoods were stolen at the hands of, by the Crown, and in a very violent and a very manipulative and vindictive way. This. The Stolen Earth Games was pretty like pretty amazing for me as a young activist coming into a light as a outside of my family's um, my family's reputation, and being able to contribute to that was incredible. Um, I guess it, we literally pro we protest every um, big major event, so it's Com Commonwealth Games, Olympics, as well as um, G20. Um, summits and stuff. That was one of the first bigger, larger gatherings that we had here um, that I was involved with in the direct protest. But Stolen Wealth Games was, it's literally just fight, literally making it aware to the rest of the world that First Nations people here in Australia reject the Commonwealth, reject the Crown. We are staunch in our sovereignty. We have birthrights. We are de and have been demanding land rights, our sovereignty, and so much more for decades. That that's the whole reason why um, places like the Aboriginal Ten Embassy was erected in in the um, early seventies. It's literally the the crowns is symbolic, in in a way that they are the ones that destroyed our lives. They are the ones that put us in this pipeline. It, they are the ones that created that standard and that process and that machine. And it wasn't just Australia. We also stand with so many other First Nations peoples from around the globe, like on Turtle Island, like in Aotearoa, in African countries. Like it's, it's everywhere. And it should be at the forefront of every kind of conversation that centers the crown. They have literally gotten to a point in this world where they are so rich, so privileged, and it's all at the dispossession and disadvantages of sovereign peoples from around the globe. And that, like that was what Stolen Wealth was. And um, it was a really great experience for us. We did get to meet, um, a lot of like a lot of leaders of other nations around the world like internationally did come and sit with us at at our protest camp at um douglas jennings park and at the spit in southport and we did get to have these conversations and make connections and there's more commonalities between us as dispossessed peoples no matter what continent we're on as opposed to the crown and that being our connection it's our connection to each other is being dispossessed and the crown's the one that created dispossession yeah that's right there's lots of ways that we could envision links between uh, different nations you know of everyday people who have some differences but have fundamental commonalities and shared interests 
rather than the Commonwealth, which is like this idea that these countries are bound together because they're all ruled by the same person. That's it. That's exactly right, Andy. That's exactly right. Well, there has recently been talk about Australia becoming a republic and ditching the crown. Things like Michael Thistlethwaite being appointed uh, Assistant Minister for the Republic. Um, I guess for Aboriginal people, what's the feeling around the idea of becoming a republic? Do people see that as a positive thing? 100%. And many First Nations peoples and leaders have acknowledged this and and supported this. Uh, I, I believe Malcolm Turnbull tried to push for a referendum three times so that Australia votes on becoming a republic and becoming an independent nation. And I think um, for me, myself, I don't speak for everybody, but for me and my, my mob, my Kuma people I know most definitely, a republic is very appealing. It's um, very hopeful that this, this could actually open up a floor for dialogue separate from the Commonwealth and where we can truly imagine what this country is like and could be like for First Nations people. It's an avenue where First Nations people are actually able... My only thing is First Nations people have to be involved in the dialogue. We don't need the Crown, but we we don't need it. I just see that um, a Republic is something that would I'm really excited for. Um, when constitutional recognition started to become more of a conversation that my whole thing was, well, why are we pushing for a referendum of a constitution that's embedded in the Commonwealth and the Crown and the Crown sovereignty? Why don't we actually redirect this conversation and think about becoming independent? Why don't we imagine a future for not only uh, First Nations people, but white Australia? The reality here is that First Nation sovereignty should be at the forefront, but also we're not going to be able to get rid of it. Like white people can't just pack up and leave. Non-First Nations people can't just pack up and leave. They're all on this continent for a reason and a purpose. And I th believe that a republic is a way that we can discover our joint purpose. And we are we. it's an avenue to build relationships and create new standards and morals and ethics and values that really and truthfully reflect the Australian population. I, I, I get so excited around the conversations of a republic and I, I, I was really, um, really happy to see the new appointment of a um, minister for, for that. Like it, I don't know, it's just something that I look forward to, I'm very hopeful for, but I'm also very, um, very anxious that I anticipate things getting railroaded but even if they do get railroaded we're in a position where we have enough first nations people in parliament and a lot of advocacy workers that are first nations and professionals within government and in other sectors that are able to help advise and help shape those things and we've had such great movements that have been heavily influencing decisions in parliament and I just feel that's very hopeful and that I feel very hopeful about everything. I, it's a very exciting um, prospect for the future of First Nations people and I support a referendum into becoming a republic wholeheartedly. Yeah, I like what you're saying there. Um, I spoke to Peter Fitzsimons from the Australian Republican movement earlier and 
they're very much, I guess, trying to appeal to everybody and saying, oh, nothing will change except that, you know, a new head of state. Whereas there's a lot of possibilities of how Australia could be better, you know, and the talk about a republic is an opportunity for us to talk about, well, what do we want as a nation? And um, I like that you have sort of latched onto that. 100%, Andy, 100%. And, like, the Republic Party is totally right with saying that, like, realistically, nothing would change but being having the Commonwealth removed. But what changes with that is the ways that we go about our decision-making in government and in, in Parliament. And there's just so much great independent thought. We have, especially with the um, federal election results, um, having a lot of new independents take, um, take Liberal seats and a lot of the Greens are getting in. And there's this really big shift in the climate at the moment in and there, there's going to be so much to come from this. There genuinely will be. And uh, we're free thinkers in Australia. We, we have a whole different perspective as opposed to other nations around the world. And we have, we have the ability to create real change under a republic. The old guard needs to die and eventually, and I guess what um, you mentioned before about people having commentary around the crown and the queen being just a symbolic thing. It's, but if they're so symbolic, why do we need them? We don't. And we have been doing things by ourselves where we are very well sustained economically, socially and politically. And we have an ability and a capacity to imagine a future. And it's not just a future for First Nations people, it's a future for every single one of us, refugees, asylum seekers, the whole, everybody that exists in this continent has an opportunity to create a better life for the minorities and the communities that they represent under a republic. I, and it's, the prospects are really exciting. Obviously, I don't know what exactly it would look like, but the conversations around a republic open up a lot more dialogue. And, I have a lot of faith in in Australia as as a whole nation. I have a lot of faith that good things will ch come and good changes will be made. All right. Thanks very much, Ruby. No, thank you, Andy. On the paradigm shift on 4ZZZ, that was Ruby Wharton there being quite positive, really, about um, the future of Australia and... Uh, the kind of society that we can build together. I think there's a, a lot of critique um, that we can have around the injustices that have been perpetuated in this country and I guess the role that our system of governance has played in it. But it is good to hear, you know, people saying, well, we can make something better. And I guess when it comes to talking about uh, getting rid of the royal family it is it's about let's shake off this old baggage of you know uh hierarchical systems where positions of power are, are given to you purely because of the family that you're born into or marry into um and let's talk about what else is possible what else is possible for australia what else is possible for the world one of the reasons why i think australia needs to become a republic is 
we need to be uh, a light for those poor people in Britain who are stuck with the Queen, you know, um, to be like, nobody wants this. Uh, and it's possible to leave it behind. And ultimately, um, it's going to be a lot harder for the people of Britain, but they should every every bit, you know, they've been subjected to the royal family longer than any of us. And, and yeah their politics recently has been captured by this nostalgia for the good old days of the empire um that brexit had so much of that rhetoric um and so little about looking forward to what kind of society do we want to build you know for the future and so uh very good to today talk to both peter fitzsimons about you know going to a republic as a the formalities of it, I guess, but also to Ruby about, I guess, more symbolic ideas of um, what does Australia mean um, and what changes can we make and uh, how can that include both the original uh, owners, inhabitants of this land and also those of us who have migrated there and those who might migrate here in the future, you know, to make a, a society that we want to live in. Of course, we can also just spend lots of time just talking about how terrible uh, uh, monarchy is and our particular royal family is, you know, and just the uh, the way that conservatives hold up the royal family as this uh, kind of um, bastion of all everything, you know, that all the good traditions that have been lost in sinful modernity or something like that. And then you actually look at their behavior, look at Prince Andrew um, and the way he's been in these... Uh, sex trafficking court cases and things like that and all the other kind of tabloid gossip infidelities all this kind of thing and um, it just really shows how much I guess conservative ideas of you know the good old days they're just fairy tales they're as make-believe as the notion of uh, kings and queens being a you know appointed by magic or something like that and it's time to get rid of those uh, fairy tales and I don't mind tradition for the sake of tradition sometimes and this idea of uh, cultural archetypes or cultural belonging that we have these shared commonalities or or something like that. But the royal family has a a very practical application in that, um, one, they they continue to hold this power. The immense wealth that goes into sustaining them. um, And two, in that while they're there, this endless uh, discussion of royals and significance of these people just goes on and it's much more than just a um, a harmless symbol of the old days it is a symbol of inequality it is a symbol of absolute power that's given not by consent not by um, anything that's been done to earn it just for the sake of power itself and it is time to get rid of it as you can see um, I'm I'm glad to do this show. It's the first time I've ever done a, a show on this topic, and but I think it should just be a foregone conclusion. And I can't wait for the next steps in the process of you know changing Australia over to a uh, republic. Um, that is about all we have time for today on the show. See you next week.